Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. Good to be together in the presence of God. Jesus says, when two or three gather together in my name, there I am among them. This morning, I'd like to begin by telling you a story. It's not in the Bible, but like all stories in the Bible, it is true. A few weeks ago, I took my son out for uh, the afternoon on his bike. And we decided that we would go down to the local park near my parents' house. And as you approach this park, it's a very small little park. There's a swing, there's a slide, there's a roundabout. There are some bouncy animals. There is, you know, there's a bench covered in graffiti. And um, you get to the top of a hill and you can see into the park from the top of the hill. And when we got there, uh, this park is enclosed. And uh, as we looked down into the park, the only people playing in the park were six teenagers And they were all dressed from head to foot in black. Black shoes, black trousers, black hats, black tops, black clothes. And my son looked down into the hill, didn't look at me, and he said, I don't want to go in there, I'm scared. Now on the side of this park, there is a big sign which says this park is for use for children under the age of eight. Now these children were teenagers. They were, some of them were adults. They, looked, they were 18, 19, 20. But on the side of the fence it says, this park is for use for children under the age of eight. My son is four. So I said to him, well, you know that park belongs to you. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, that park was made for people just like you. And I said, they shouldn't be there. So he looked down at the park. He looked back up at me. And then he said, will you come with me? Yes. So he got off his bike, wheeled it very confidently down the hill. Didn't look back to see if I was coming, just kept going. And he got to the park. And as he got there, one of the six teenagers saw him. And they came and they opened the door for my son. And as my son came in, he and two of his other friends left the park straight away. So I followed my son in and he put his bike down. He took off his helmet because we believe in safety. (laughs) And he walks over to the swing, gets on the swing, starts to play on the swing. And lo and behold, without another word being spoken, the other three teenagers leave the park. So all there is in this little play park now is me and my four-year-old son enjoying what was rightfully his. So I said, look at you. Aren't you strong? Aren't you brave? Aren't you mighty? He said, what do you mean? I said, look at this. You arrived in the park and all these other people who had no right to be there, they had to leave. Aren't you brave? Aren't you strong? Aren't you mighty? And I said, son, it's the same with Jesus. I said, in life, you may well feel that there are giants far bigger than you, far greater numbers than you. But you know, if God is with you, who can be against you? The teenagers never came back. They were gone. And there was my son enjoying all the rights of his inheritance as a child in a park. 
And the Lord began to talk to me about the church. He began to talk to me about people here, people in this church. He began to talk about us as a people. And um, these are some of the things that he began to tell me. Don't focus your attention on the size of the problem, the obstacle, or the opposition. You see, when my son went to play in the park and saw the situation in the park, and saw the people playing in the park, he said, I'm afraid. When he focused his attention on the problem, fear was the result. But then he looked at me, and I told him, this belongs to you, and together we're going to go and get it. And the second thing the Lord spoke to me was this, focus instead on the one who is with you, for he is the one who both promises you an inheritance and will provide it. And this is the third thing. When someone with a legal right of possession takes their stand, those without it have to leave. When those who have a legal right to possess something take their stand, the illegal squatter, the playground bully, the liar, the cheat, and the thief run back to their hole and hide. And my dear friends, there is no area in your life that the Lord wants you to allow to be occupied by an illegal squatter. There is no area in your life that the Holy Spirit is willing for one more day to allow you to be intimidated by a playground bully. There is no area in your life, contrary to the word of God and contrary to the covenant nature of God, that he wants you to allow in your thinking patterns one more day to settle with as something that you just have to live with. You know, my son didn't build the park, didn't pay for the park, didn't paint the fence, and believe it or not, neither did I. But simply by legal right... He could go in. You know, you did nothing to earn the grace of God. You did nothing to earn the blood that was purchased for you. You've done nothing to earn the favor in your life. But our Heavenly Father is absolutely intent on every single one of us enjoying every aspect of our inheritance in Christ because His blood purchased it for us and therefore it is ours by covenant right. Let me give you some examples. For you, if you have raised children in a godly way, you can confidently expect them to walk with the Lord. It doesn't matter if they never made a decision when they were little. It doesn't matter if they've gone away and railed against all godly counsel. They are under the covenant of God and the Lord is committed to seeing them return. There is no child too far for him to grab. There's no relative too hard for him to break open. But the promise is, this is for you and your household and all those who are far off. If you were born with an allergy or you were born with a degenerative sickness or you inherited something or as you've gone in your life, a sickness has taken residence in your body, Jesus wants you to know that by his wounds you have already been healed. That pain cannot successfully come against your body because Jesus bore all your pain. If you are a Christian and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, 
If you have gone through the waters of baptism, then you can confidently expect Jesus himself to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so that you will be a witness endued with power and that as an evidence externally, you will speak in other tongues. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You will be able to speak in a heavenly language just as fluently as you speak your natural language. It doesn't mean you get five words you don't understand and that's you for the rest of your life. My dear friends, Jesus promised us we would speak in another language. We are not minimalists in the Holy Ghost, folks. We're maximalists. Every gift of his spirit is available to you if you will earnestly desire it and seek it. He doesn't have any favorites. He loves us all just the same. And I'm so glad that we're never going to ask God again if he loves us because once we've got that settled, we can get on with doing something. My wife and I have just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. We've not spent the last 10 years wondering if we love each other. That was settled a long time ago. She and I reaffirm it in word and deed, but not once do I have I ever questioned her love for me, nor has she ever questioned my love for her. We've just got on with the job. Folks, it's time to get on with the job. The world is not looking for a church that can't work out whether Jesus loves us or not. We've got a job to do in this city. So I want to talk to you this morning from the scriptures now in Matthew chapter 16 to help us see in the word some of the realities of this story I've just shared with you. That God does not want us to be a people who focus our attention on the size of a problem, the size of a situation, the size of an opposition, because God plus you is always a majority. In fact, do not be disturbed in your life if you get whittled down into a situation where it really is only you and God. Because that is God's opportunity for him to prove to you that it's all in him anyway. Don't be phased if you're reduced to a Gideon-style numbers. Don't be afraid if it's like you, you, you're Jonathan and all you've got to help fight the Philistines is one soldier. God plus you is always a majority. <laughs> Jesus' idea of feeding 5,000 men was to have a little boy turn up with loaves and fish. But the little that he had was multiplied by God, and they were all filled. Do not focus your attention any longer on the size of the opposition, the size of the problem, the size of the bully, because God is greater. You know, I was thinking this week about some situations I'm aware of, some things in our own family, in our own home, and in the church, and they were just coming to my mind as I was trying to prepare for this sermon, and the Lord said to me, oh, I'm not fazed by that. And then I was thinking about another one, and he said, oh, <laughs> I'm not intimidated by that one either. And then he said, yeah, that, that doesn't faze me. And then there was another one, oh, that doesn't concern me either. Really, that one? No, that doesn't concern me. And I began to think about these things, and I was like, Lord, there's nothing that intimidates you, is there? No, James, there's not. <laughs> it's not only that Jesus isn't easily intimidated, Jesus is never intimidated. So if our gospel is that he lives in us, then what can we be intimidated by? Not because we're super saints, but because we are vessels and carriers of the one who is greater than all. God wants us to be those who focus instead on the one who is with us. 
For he has promised and he's able to perform whatever he's promised. You know, if you're working in a really, really run-down school, if you're working in a dead-end company, if you're working in, in a situation that's facing bankruptcy, this is a great opportunity for God to show himself what an awesome restorer he is. It's the most unlikely places that can be the greatest opportunity for the gospel. And when someone with a legal right of possession takes their stand, those without that legal right have to flee. So let me read you from Matthew chapter 16, a story I've been thinking about a lot recently. And uh, it's verse 13 we're going to read from to begin with. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. The first thing this story tells me is that the disciples, just like us, lived in a world filled with opinions. Everybody's got an opinion. That's why reality TV shows are so popular. That's why people love Strictly Come Dancing or The X Factor, The Great British Bake Off or whatever else. Because they, they get to watch, they get to enjoy an experience, and everybody has an opinion. Who's going to win this? Who's going to win that? Who's going to get voted out? The world is ruled by people with opinions. In fact, popular opinion now rules the world. Don't think America or China or India rule the world. This world is ruled by popular opinion. How do I know? Because politicians are more than happy to follow what the, 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 the crowd say in order to get elected. Pictures this week emerged of Donald Trump shaking Bill Clinton's hand at a fundraiser in the early 1990s. But now he's willing to run against Bill Clinton's wife to become president. Why? He's willing to court popular opinion in order to get what he wants. Leaders in God's house are not here to court popular opinion because Jesus himself is not concerned with popular opinion. And God's people do not live by opinions. They live by revelation. So into this milieu comes Jesus and he says, listen boys, what are people saying about me? And they're able to tell Jesus because they themselves have heard it. People have gone around saying, well, I think this guy is John the Baptist. I know John the Baptist was dead, but he's clearly come back from the grave or maybe he faked his own death, like they faked the moon landing, you know. And and this is just John the Baptist. Other people said, well, I don't think he's John the Baptist. I think he's Elijah. You know, Elijah disappeared off hundreds of years ago, but he's back. Some people said, no, he's not Elijah. He's, look how sad he is all the time. Look how he cries over Jesus, over Jerusalem. He's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was crying all the time. This is Jeremiah. These were all incomplete understandings of Jesus. Because we will never understand who Jesus is merely from an earthly point of view. And no system of belief that says Jesus is merely a prophet is ever Christianity. So Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter doesn't come up with yet another opinion. He doesn't have an opinion of himself. He doesn't think deep down in his mind and go, well, I've seen him do this, I've seen him do that. One plus one plus one equals Messiah. No, 
into his heart comes something supernatural from the God of heaven. And Simon Peter sees, this man is the Son of God. And so he says it. Because all revelation must be spoken. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we make no apology. We make no apology in our day and generation. We declare without shame or without guilt that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of the living God. He is not one way to be saved. He is the only way which men can be saved. If you believe this morning that Jesus is just one of many ways to come to God, then you need to become a Christian. Because Jesus is the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved. And Jesus has a 100% success rate at salvation. So God has called us to be people who not live by the opinions of men, but by the revelation of God. Revelation means that once you've seen it, that's it. It doesn't mean that in 20 years you'll have a rethink. Or in 30 years you'll start a new church and teach a different gospel. Revelation is something built into your life that can never be taken out again. Revelation is only ever something that is built upon and built upon and built upon. So how many of you have seen that Jesus is the son of the living God? Yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah. And Jesus himself makes this commitment And he says, you are right. This is who I am, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to build my church. I am going to build my church. And so in that very moment, in that declaration from heaven, Jesus once and for all tells us what's going to happen with his church. It's going to get built. It's going to be established. It's going to be finished. And it's going to be built in his pattern, according to his likeness, just as he wants The church is not going to be abandoned with two weeks to go because Jesus ran out of money. Or because the carpenter went on the sick. Or because there was a disagreement with the architect and the builder. No, Jesus has said, I will build my church. And he has guaranteed once and for all in that statement that it will be achieved. My dear friends, we are part of something that is going to last forever. So get used to me because I'm going to be around for a while. (laughs) But Jesus also guarantees to us that no matter the opposition, no matter the problem, no matter the circumstances, it cannot defeat him. He says this, the gates of Hades itself cannot prevail. No matter the protests of the enemy, no matter his greatest defensive strategy, no matter how hard he tries to resist the advance of God's kingdom, it cannot succeed. Let me tell you a story. Lady, uh, we met at Bible Week. We had the opportunity to pray with her. She'd not been a Christian for very long. And uh, she, ta- she shared her testimony with us. She said, I was uh, from a country in Africa, and I was a Muslim. I was in a Muslim family. And as I began to think on all that I was being taught, I thought to myself, the only logical thing I can do, if what I'm being taught is true, is I must leave my family and I must go to Syria, and I must join ISIS. The only logical thing I can do with what I'm being taught is I will leave my family, and I will go to Syria, and I will join Islamic State. So, one day, she decided to pray. 
And she said something she'd never, ever said before. She said, God of Abraham, why do you want me to kill these Jews if you made them? And she had a vision. And in this vision, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of black horses with black robed figures on these horses coming forward and forward and forward in advance. And into this and against this enormous force rode one white horse with a white clothed figure on the horse. And he rode into this enormous black horsed army and he destroyed and defeated them all. And in that moment, she had a revelation that Jesus was God. And she, at that moment, surrendered her life to Jesus. She was baptized. She's come to Christ. Do you know, it doesn't matter the size of the opposition. It doesn't matter the, the enormity of the news story. It doesn't matter the, the worries that the world has. God's kingdom will prevail in this earth. But you know, we have a part to play, friends. And I'm going to begin to look at this with you now, and we're going to look at it in detail again next week. Because if you look in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, Jesus has said, I will build my church. But now he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So Jesus, in all his purpose and plans, is absolutely devoted and dedicated to the achievement of his purpose. It's going to happen. And his master strategy, his genius stroke, is to give you keys. It's to look at you. And look at me and say, I believe that these people can extend my kingdom. You know, if there's no one else in this world who believes in you, Jesus does. If mum and dad have written you off, brother and sister have written you off, if you think your pastor's written you off, if you're in this church, they haven't. But if you think no one believes in you, if you've been lied to and said that there's no one who thinks you're up to anything, just remember this, that in your hands have been given to you keys from Jesus Christ himself. He looks around this room and says, these are people I want to use to extend my kingdom. He's not reluctant. He's not scrubbing around going, well, I've got enough keys for everyone, but I'll just have to get another one made for Greg. No. To all that he saved, he said, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Amen. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, folks, our job is to line up this earth with heaven. If it's not in heaven, we don't want it on the earth. And if it is in heaven, we want it on the earth. So we've got to be people of revelation, people of vision. Because if we haven't seen into heaven, if we haven't seen the Christ, if we haven't seen what God wants in intention, we can never have it here. But God's will is that heaven and earth will be aligned and that the people that he will use to see that alignment is the church, which is you and me. So 
So Jesus has given you the keys of his kingdom. And he has said to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Do you know where your keys are? Have you lost them? Have you misplaced them? Or do you know where they are? A little while ago, uh, I was called out in an emergency, uh, something with the family I can't remember, and I had lost our car keys. And I had like 17 different layers of clothing on, trying to get out of the house. It was winter. And uh, I couldn't find the car keys anywhere. And I was under the, un- under the table in the living room looking for the keys. And I was on the top of the kitchen trying to find the keys. And I was lying in the street looking underneath the car to make sure I hadn't lost the keys. And all the way, I'm panicking and panicking and panicking. I can't find these keys. What is going to happen? I can't find these keys. I can't find these keys. And and in frustration, I put my hands to my chest and felt something just there. And I took off the one coat I'd put on in a hurry and found another coat on underneath. I, I am thin, you know. So. <laughs> and in my inside pocket were my car keys. And the Lord said to me, you know, there are so many Christians looking for something that I've already given them. We're not going to have a key giving ministry at the end of this meeting. Because Jesus has already given you the keys of the kingdom. Let me tell you, let me give you an illustration of how you, the, my, my wife and I were used this week to, to, to use the keys of the kingdom. We had some friends of ours, that they're in, uh, their children are in the same school as our children. We met them on Monday, the first day of term. And uh, they're both believers. They're in another church in the city. They, they love Jesus. And they've just found and bought their dream house. They needed a bigger home. They needed a bigger garden for their very energetic children. And they found this perfect house and they bought it. And everything has been going really, really well until the, the lawyers got in touch and said, you can't have the house because it's not a freehold house, but it has a leasehold, is that the right thing? Yeah. Leasehold house. And we've lost all the documentation concerning the lease. So you could buy this house if you want to, but if anything ever comes up that we don't know about, you're in trouble. So I'm afraid the sale's on pause. So was talking to, we were talking to our friends on Monday morning, and uh, we said, well, it sounds like you need a miracle. And he said, yes, we do. Yeah, we do need a miracle. I said, well, today's a, today's a good day for a miracle. He said, you're right, today is a good day for a miracle. So my wife and I went home. We just said a very simple prayer for our friends. We said, Father, we just ask in the name of Jesus that the solicitors would find the documents. Because we believe this was a situation contrary to heaven. And Saskia, my wife and I, we just agreed. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was a stump. This was a hindrance to our friends moving on in God's purposes. So very simply, we prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come in this situation. So Friday comes. They come to see us at the school gates. We found the documents. And you think, James, that's so small. Who cares? Well, if you will learn to be faithful in little, God will use you to be faithful in much. Some of us want to change the nations, and we haven't even changed our neighborhood yet. But if you'll just use what's in your hand... If you'll just use what's there in front of you, if you'll just meet the need that is right looking you in the eye, you can be the person who brings heaven to earth. And so we're going to look in detail again at this next week, but I just want to leave us, if you like, this week with a, with a little tester, with a little question for us to think about, which is this. Are you willing 
to use the keys of the kingdom. Turn with me to Psalm 110. The issue for us today is not have we got the keys. The issue is not for us have we got the strategy, have we got the vision. The issue, the issue is not have we got what it takes. The Lord spoke to us in 2011. Prophet came to this meeting, Matthew Ling, and he said, All Nations Church, you've got what it takes to reach this city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. So when heaven looks at us, heaven sees a people who've got what it takes to reach the city and reach the nation and reach the nations beyond. But the question in our hearts this morning is not uh, can we do it, should we do it, can God use me? The very simple question is this, are you willing? Because Jesus will build his church. And he has given you the keys of the kingdom. He has given you the ability to extend his rule and his reign where you live and work and, and where you study. But, do you want to do it? Do you want to? Not now, when it's easy to agree with the preacher. But when that need arises in the neighborhood... And it means you've got to turn off Netflix and go around to visit your friend who's sick. Or when the emergency comes and you have to think, I've got to lay aside my, my comfortable day off and get ready to get my hands involved in the kingdom. Psalm 110 verse 1 says this, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will be willing in the day of your power. So in verses 1 and 2, we see that there is an absolute certainty about the rule and reign of Jesus, an absolute certainty about all his enemies being made a footstool for his feet. There's nothing that we can do to stop that happening. But in verse 3, it says this, your people will be willing in the day of your power. Which tells me that his people could be unwilling if they chose to abdicate themselves. The strongest thing in a man is his will. Strongest thing in a man is his will. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. If God has never cut across your will in discipleship, it's going to happen soon. <laughs> Because the moment you came to Christ, you surrendered your will to his. So that all my plans and all my ambitions and all my schemes are nothing. All I want to do is serve you. So the question for us this morning, the question I'm going to leave you with today, and we're going to return a united, devoted people next Sunday, is very simply this. Are you willing to use what God has given you? And are you willing to do what he's called you to do? Because Jesus makes us a promise. Jesus makes us a promise that for all who use the keys of his kingdom, whatever they bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever they loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. There will be no limit to your ability to achieve the will of God if you yield yourself to that will here and now. That's where we're going to leave ourselves this morning with this invitation 
This is a cliffhanger. Are you ready for the adventure of extending his kingdom? And are you willing to be involved in the greatest adventure of your life? I'd like us to stand. We can take the opportunity to offer ourselves to the Lord. And um, just going to sing a little refrain that I believe encapsulates what our heart is to be to the Lord this morning. We sang it a number of times at Bible Week. It's a familiar tune, but uh, unfamiliar words. And it says this, Spirit of the living God, flow afresh through me. Flow fresh through me. Spirit of the Lord, flow afresh through me. You see, the Lord is looking for a people through whom he can flow, through whom he can work, because his people will be those through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why Blessing Street has its name. Because as he works through you, the street is blessed. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I I trust that what I've shared with you this morning has gone into your hearts and it's good soil. And it's good seed. Trust that what the Holy Spirit has impressed upon you personally this morning has done you good. And has encouraged you. Because the Lord chose you before the foundations of the world to be a people through whom he would work in this day and generation. He's prepared every single one of us with good works Good works prepared in advance that only you can do. Just lift your hands to him and let that, the truth that he is the living son of God, sink deep into your heart and mind. Let the truth that he will build his church and nothing is going to prevent its advance sink into your mind. Let the truth that he has given you the keys of the kingdom and he wants to use you to bring heaven to earth. Let that sink into your heart and mind. Let any obstacles to that word, let any lies of the enemy, let any uh, untruths that have been sown deep into us, let them be dismissed now with the power of that word. Thank you, Lord. 